Welcome to Church Talk. I'm your host, Amanda Hall, here with Reverend Laurel Gray. This is the monthly episode of this podcast where we talk about the month's sermons, world events, and how we make sense of the complexities of life. If you'd like to submit a question, discussion topic, or comment, please email it to podcasts at uucsw.org, and we'll keep you anonymous unless you say we can include your name. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the sermons on the practice of making and on creation. And if you want to hear those sermons in their entirety, you can find them in the same podcast feed where you found this episode, uh, but we'll also recap them here before discussing. Hi, Laurel. Hello. For our last podcast of the season. I know. It's like, it goes fast. I know. This one's wrapping up like our fourth year. Which is wild. Uh Uh-huh. We've been at this so long, and we were discussing how we definitely are not going to go back and listen to the first episode (laughs) to save ourselves. (laughs) Uh Yeah, we were talking about like... We hope it's gotten better. Yeah, we have to celebrate our 50th episode. Which will happen at Um, some point. Yeah, and I was like, ooh, why don't we go back and for that, listen to the first one? And then halfway through that sentence, I was like, oh, that's the worst idea I've ever had. (laughs) Neither of us consent to that. (laughs) Yeah, it's the worst idea I've ever had. And I once broke three fingers doing a cartwheel. So, like, that was a bad decision, too. But, like... (laughs) I'm so sorry for your hand. (laughs) It's fine. I was in middle school. Oh, that's awful. Oh my gosh. Kids heal fast. <laughs> yeah, bones grow. Great. You're yeah, here. Fine. We're both here. I was so exuberant and full of life that I wanted Great. to do it a cartwheel, which is ill-advised and not something I've ever done with success. Uh, yeah, I'm um, not either. I am not skilled in the cartwheeling. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, On that note. Anyway, <laughs> let's cartwheel through this episode together, mm-hmm. see what mm-hmm. comes out. Yep. Great. <laughs> Um, we actually had a ritual this month, which we're not going to talk about as much, but because we had so many, like, we talked about so many rituals from other religions and traditions last month. I want to issue a retraction. Yes, Yuism does have one ritual. Okay, fine. And flower (laughs) communion. We have rituals. (laughs) Did you say that last month that we have no rituals? No, I think I said I was jealous of, like, how many rituals and, like... Oh, yeah. Well, same. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't I don't think I said that. We, we don't not but, have rituals. We just have less rituals. Yeah. Or maybe less, I'm pretty like, sure. clear-cut rituals. Yeah. Less ritualized rituals than a lot of other traditions. That, I would say, is true. I still occasionally ponder if we're an Abrahamic tradition and then don't know what to do. <laughs> I still well, have I no think answers we, for you. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm not losing sleep <laughs> over it. <laughs> but if you do come I up with an answer, you can text me. Over it, but I do wish I had an answer. But, you know, yeah. such is the life of you. you. We just don't have answers. Yeah, it's so, really annoying. <laughs> it's really not a vibe. No. So anyways, are you recapping or am I recapping? You've read them more recently than I have. Um, I actually listened to them instead of reading mm-hmm. them. How um, nice. It was very nice. Yeah, the first one that we're talking about is on the practice of making. Mm-hmm. 
And my recap for that is people should not judge how much yarn I buy anymore. Oh, me too. Please never judge <laughs> how much yarn I buy. I currently have two sweaters in front of me and I'm wearing one. <laughs> I haven't done any crocheting in my new house yet. I have no. to like figure out my setup. Um, to be continued. So I, like I, yeah, I don't have any like projects going on right now. But okay, actually a real... <laughs> Before like, we just talk about our making, real, you want to talk about real recap. About making? Okay, great. Yeah. So, pretty much like the main points are that, like, you know, making things like uh-huh. making your own clothes, creation yeah. in other kinds of like making food, making people. Yeah. Um, all of this is like can be part of revolutionary activity and can connect us to our like self-sufficiency and Mm. give us more uh insight into like our quote-unquote consumption I guess like the way that we relate to the things that are in our lives like the physical things yeah right because if you know Um, how to make something you know what goes into making it and and you sort of become more able to read your environment um, yes which I think is important yeah, like the things around you become more legible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that is completely true. Like yeah. I, that resonates with me so much because when I started crocheting and I like made a stuffed animal and then I like made a sweater, mm-hmm. I was like, it felt like peeking behind the veil. Like it felt oh, like it is. Yes. a secret that I was like, oh, this is just like a thing that, humans can do it doesn't have yeah. to be like machines or like exactly and because I think also when people don't know how to make clothes they assume that they're made by machines when they're actually made by people using machines which yeah. gets totally obscured if you've never and like if you've never actually made a t-shirt you have no idea why a t-shirt should definitely not cost fi- cost five dollars like if your mm-hmm. t-shirt costs five dollars somebody absolutely did not get paid and like i have a lot of questions about what's going on there right um yeah so yeah knowing how to make things is is important um and is totally lost right that's like that i i think that skill has come with people being stuck at home during covid there was definitely an increase in people learning how to make things um Mm -hmm. which i think is really good and healthy because those kinds of um skills have been obscured by, you know, global capitalistic structures where you are not supposed to know who made your shirts and, you know, what their, the environment that they worked in was like and where the materials came from and what the materials did to the earth, like not to be seen. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit like peeking into Oz, um, yeah. which I think is, is a good thing to encourage people to do. Yeah. In, in a way, I sort of felt that, too, when I, like, got a big girl job. Like, when I first, like, <laughs> yeah. had an office job. Yeah. I was, like, uh, because we were, I worked in textbook, like, yeah. editing and, like, was, had some insight into, like, all the processes, the manufacturing processes and everything like that. And I was, like, that made the textbook industry and like the production of knowledge seem a lot more fallible to me because I was like 
oh, this is human beings making this. Right. It's not some like mysterious truth right. dispensed on high. Right. Um, but it also was like, oh, like for every thing I see, like it was someone's job to do that. And they like had to send a bunch of emails about it. It was my yeah. biggest thing. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and I think part yeah. of that too is a sense of, like a shifting sense of authority and power because I think when mm-hmm. things are obscured and you have no idea how they happen, you have no sense of your own agency and power relative to that thing, which seems like immutable and, you know, authoritative. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think part of part of my goal in that sermon was to talk about these practices that return us to our own sense of creative power um, in that, in that sort of, um, attachment to our own creativity and joyfulness and abundance as humans, um, which I think is really important, especially when we're talking about resistance, because the New York Times article that I was um, that I used in that sermon was talking about how these sort of historical instances of when um, like women's crafts, like quote unquote, things that are coded as women's crafts, like knitting and sewing, Um, Mm -hmm. were like transgressive historical acts. Um, And so, yeah, I think we, we don't really look at that. Um, And so my hope in, in that sermon was to sort of um, encourage people to remember their own creative capacity. Um, because like you were talking about when you learned to crochet and suddenly the veil was pulled back and you like had this thing, you had the skill that you didn't have before. Like, it's really wild to me when, how like shocked people are that I can mm-hmm. make clothes. Cause I'm like, but you could too. Like, mm-hmm. this is not, I am not a wizard. <laughs> like, I just know how a sewing machine works. Like, mm-hmm. You know, and I lean into that. Um, so it does feel, also if, it does come across as a lot more like magical than a yeah. lot of other skills yeah, <laughs> that people totally. might pick up. And right. like, which unattainable, which I think is actually because like that's totally tied up in like global, you know, capitalism and gender politics mm-hmm. because it's magical because we don't see the people doing it because those people are typically women and children of color in countries <laughs> that are disenfranchised by like, mm-hmm. so of course we don't see those things because we're not supposed to see those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you truly knew how much labor goes into making your clothes, like fast fashion should not be a thing in any mm-hmm. way. Like that is a very, very bad thing. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it <laughs> so was sort of my soapbox to... sermon. I'm realizing I'm like Laurel wants people to know how their clothes are made. Please, <laughs> your attention. soapbox sermon singular. <laughs> <laughs> Is that shade? <laughs> what <laughs> are you throwing shade at me? <laughs> I don't. Mm. Is it a soapbox or is it a pulpit? Hard to know. I, I'm not throwing shade. <laughs> I am potentially serving a little sass. Oh, you know, <laughs> sass is a good thing. I support that. I mean, I love a soapbox. 
myself. Why How not? else are you going to get your soap from one place to another? <laughs> um, <laughs> Precisely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one thing I thought also that was interesting is like the age, uh, like yeah, the ageism and sexism age. yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And I think you talked about how like knitting and like fiber arts and stuff in particular are seen as like old women things. Totally. But like there's another group of people in our society who like are regularly expected to make things and that's kids. Yeah. So like, yeah, I think again, I mean, surprise, it all comes back to capitalism. (laughs) Like, Kids and old people, and like, power. have time. Yeah, like, kids and old people are the ones who are supposed to have leisure time or whatever right. time on their hands to do, like, quote-unquote hobbies, like, making right. things that you could just get through our normal system. You don't have to make yeah. it. It's, like, a quaint little hobby. Right. Um, And then, right. like, everyone else is supposed to be working. Like, you don't have time to make your own clothes. You're working all the time. Right. Um, So, but I think it's interesting, like, how I identity can kind of form about around being like a creative person or like a a artsy person or not even that just like a a a kind of person who is able to take up that kind of thing yeah who's Um, creative right because people think of it as this like impossible that well I think there's there's like a strange dualism to craft um, because there's sort of this high art thing of like crafty is cheap and like lowbrow um, and like beneath the class of artists. Um, but then there's also people who like see crafting as this impossible thing that they have no power to engage in, um, mm-hmm. which just sort of encourages no one to have creative yeah. power, um, which I think is suspect yeah i think just as an aside i think maybe we're not saying lowbrow anymore oh yeah what what what's a better term um i just think it's related to what's the thing that was like the different lumps in the head it's just like (gasps) oh facial shape yeah 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 because what else where else would that come from yeah i'm looking it up oh good This is great. Learning new language. We have creative power to change. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because what we really mean is like elitism, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Phrenology. So highbrow was popularized in 1902 by Will Irvin, an adherent to the phrenology the phrenological notion of more intelligent people having high foreheads. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Certain whiff of racialism and eugenics should have been enough to do in this word by now, but it has retained a smidgen of utility in a culture that still likes to rank the prestige of artistic endeavors, according to this New York Times article from 2014. Whoa. See, I feel like this is like good case in point. It's all around us and yeah. we don't notice it. Yeah. So... Anyway, yes, we, I mean, and like clearly also like all these things are tied up in, you know, race and power and class and gender and like all these things. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's not I mean, just I, knitting. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, we haven't talked. You did mention like Michelle Obama knitting. Yeah. Being like, uh, there was like racially charged yeah. cultural <laughs> expectations, the version there. But I feel like there's definitely like racism in distinguishing between like the kind of art that like rich white people do. Oh, and yeah. And the kind of art that everyone else does. Right. Right. Um, historically in the U.S. Right. Um, or, you know, if people are, like, actually mending their clothes out of financial necessity, like, right. how gauche and unclassy, you know? Yeah, exactly. Is. Right. So, anyway, I'm curious how, <laughs> when you were a kid, did yeah. you think of yourself as, like, creative or, like, artsy? No, so I... I grew up in a family, still exist in a family of people with professional arts training. Um, mm-hmm. And so I am actually sort of the black sheep of the family in that I am a minister, <laughs> which is funny to be mm-hmm. like the outlier. Um, I mean, not that ministry is weird as a profession, but typically you think of like <laughs> the artsy person as being the, you know, the the like family outcast. Um, the exception right the like art right artistic yeah exactly like artistic skill is the exception whereas in my family like very high caliber artistic skill is the norm um and so then I actually thought of myself as being very non-creative which was confusing because then like I've always made clothes and other people outside of my family have always been sort of baffled by that. And so there was this confused, like, so am I creative or am I not creative? Does it count or does it Mm. not count? I don't know Mm -hmm. if this counts and what that even means. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, good question. Hard to answer. Yeah, it is hard to answer. (laughs) Like, I'm trying to think about how the identity of like being a creative person changed for me from like childhood through like adolescence. And I don't think I ever thought of myself as like someone who was like artsy. Yeah. But I like, like I did sculpture sometimes I did like, you know, a bunch of stuff, a bunch of yeah. like artsy and craftsy stuff. Well, and I um, think I think part of what I was trying to get at too in the service is pulling away from this idea of being a creative individual and the idea that like to be human is to be creative. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of ways to do that and to lean into that. And sure, people have their preferences and like differences in skill. Um, but I think that that getting sort of mired in this idea that we are, that some people are creative and some people are not is very disempowering. Um, And like, I think becomes a really theological question of whose creativity matters and why, and why are people detached from the idea that they have a place in creativity? Like, i.e. the creation of the world as it is and as we hope it will be. Like, to me, that is a bigger thing, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think, too, like, part of the reason why I really like making things is because the work that I do in the world is, like, so, you know, non-tangible. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, takes like quite a leap of faith sometimes to believe that what I do actually matters. Um, And it can't be completed, right? And so Mm -hmm. then for me as a person to be able to sustain that, I need some like really tangible (laughs) things that I can Mm -hmm. do that like I can complete and are very functional, like because it sort of balances out the way that I exist in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And it maintains my sense of agency and creative possibility. Like to your joke about like, no one judge us for how much yarn we have. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, I think that during COVID buying fabric was like one of the things that kept, kept me feeling like a whole person. And now I'm a little bit like, well, that was unnecessary. Um, I now have more fabric than I need. But because the like the fact of it um, maintained the sense of creative possibility in me that like there are options and more is possible in the world, um, which at a time when everything was closing down and things were pretty scary, access to that creative sense of possibility um, was a powerful antidote to what was going on in the world. Um, and so like, I wish more people had that. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah. I you agree. You too could learn to, learn to yarn. Uh-huh. You too could <laughs> learn to knit or, you know, or whatever it is. Like this past Sunday, um, we had a congregant who, who similarly has a job that is like very intense, who took up making birdhouses, just decided he was going to start making birdhouses. And so he made a birdhouse model of the church and gave it to the church for our new garden, which like I have no idea this person had this skill and it's beautiful and like really sweet. And like you too could make birdhouses should you choose to. Like who cares if they're perfect? Yeah, you two could make birdhouses or sweaters. <laughs> nice. Um, I I want to talk about the other sermon on creation. Yep. Um, and to bridge these two, I want to tell an anecdote <laughs> that I'm positive I've already told before. Great, um, do it. Which is like a memory when I, test. <laughs> when I worked Pop at um, unnamed textbook ma- mm-hmm. major manufacturer. Um, <laughs> We were making a specific, like, book for Texas. And in the editorial guidelines, we're not allowed to say, like... You've told me this. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast. Um, It was math. So it was like, I was like, okay, create a graph for to show this. And then it's like, I had to change it to make because, like, only God creates. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm students can make a graph but they can't create a graph and Mm -hmm. so there's probably a lot to unpack there about how our religious tradition sees our personal agency versus other religious traditions maybe Mm -hmm. but i don't want to get shady um (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think i am pretty clear in the sermon about creation that there are very different ideas about you know, where yeah. humans stand relative to creation and, you know, the theology of creation and they have implications. <laughs> yeah. Do you, wanna, do you want to recap? Pretty good summary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
also Colors of the Wind is still good 20 years later or however many years later. I it like always makes me tear up. It's just I know, like, I, so good. Speaking we were before this we were talking about how we're millennials who get our TikTok through Instagram and I had forgotten mm-hmm. about that song and then TikTok through Instagram gave me like a video of someone singing it as like a this, you know, beautiful acoustic ballad and I was like, "Oh yeah." Mhm. Still still good. And then I asked Kayla to play it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Putting aside the problematic nature of the movie I, for a I moment. Know. I was like, shall I address that? Or will this sermon turn into Laurel talks People about everything know. all at once? Right. I did People not know. go back and rewatch the movie. But that yeah. one specific song, I was like, there is a lot of good, good, like theological import in this one particular song. So. Yeah. So. I can do, like, a little recap on the yeah. creation, um, I think. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, the first uh, point is when we're dealing with, like, thinking about climate change mm-hmm. and how we move forward, you know, despair is not a motivating way <laughs> to move through that. Not helpful. Um, and, like... Once you know how damaging despair is, like leading with it is irresponsible. Oh yeah, like oh, it's like profoundly. Yeah. I don't think irresponsible um, is even like a strong enough word for that. Yeah, for sure. yeah. Um, and another way to look at it is like doing the dishes. So yeah. <laughs> we've all had a really nice meal. And now it's time to restore things to the clean kitchen that was here before we started. We got to all do the dishes. Yeah. Um, Rather than, like, changing nature. Yeah. It's, like, restoration, like, cleaning after ourselves. And then there are elements of, like, we, you know, there's there's different ways to think about humanity as like yeah. being of creation versus over creation, like yeah. caretakers who contain and control the chaos versus like, yeah, just members of the whole system. And well, because when I that. like when I think about like the quality of despair, like the nature of that experience, it's incredibly isolating and it's, and it's disempowering. And I think that it's also like those sort of point to the fact that to to lead with despair the, the sort of way that people often talk about like climate work is this like doomsday like you know it's us or them them being like nature maybe um but like right now the the wildness of nature has the upper hand and we're going to be destroyed by the like horrors of nature um, and like the solution to that is for us to regain control and power. Mm-hmm. And so it it doesn't fundamentally change the way that we like this sort of capitalistic way of interacting with the natural world. It just is an effort to like have fewer consequences for our dominance, mm-hmm. which I personally find suspect as like a way of engaging in the world around us like we have if if that's the strategy we still I think haven't really addressed the problem um yeah which is where my hope in this was like let's talk about what's underneath all of this and really consider you know what is your 
theology of creation and like the natural world because we all like we're all infused with these ideas um and again with the like if you don't pull back the curtain you don't have any sense of how it's like what's happening and how you can do anything about it um and so that was like i mean my hope especially with this pair of services and they were very intentionally paired together um because i think that when you're talking about climate work there is such this like knee-jerk reaction to head to despair which like that comes from somewhere because like and and i am not downplaying the problem of the environment i am trying yeah. to like restore our sense of creative power um so yeah. that we can actually engage in it right um and i don't know where i was going with that <laughs> yeah i agree like it has taken me a while to feel that viscerally yeah. rather than like intellectually yeah, the danger of of despair. Yeah. Um because it's like seems like the natural logical reaction. Right. It's like okay. Right. You should feel this way. Right. It's like, I know I shouldn't be feeling this, but like, sorry, I'm having feelings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, right. sorry, I'm right. not doing it right. I feel I know I'm not supposed to be feeling bad and I feel bad. That's like, right. Which is not the point. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Right. No yeah. part of this is me being like, shame on you for feeling despair. It's like, let's not use despair against each other. And it's also, I mean, I know it takes a lot of work to yeah. like, move through and out of that but like yeah we it's not negotiable like we cannot stop there (laughs) like right that can that can exist in you and it can't like that can't be the 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 only thing like you have to figure out how to get out of that you just have to well and i think um (laughs) instead of like framing this as you as an individual person need to get we, out, out of it. We have yeah. to. I think like we as a collective people cannot stop there. Yeah. Um, and I also, I'm inclined to say we won't stop there because we can't. And I think yeah. that shift is starting to happen. Like I think, especially for like the last sort of several years, the way that people were talking about climate work was more like, you know, ring all all the alarm bells. And I can understand that. And I think that there is, there is more sort of agent or um, there's more movement now around this idea that like that, that can't be the end of the road. Like it's not mobilizing. It's not mobilizing. No, it is demobilizing. It's not working. We need it to work. So like, let's, let's actually start working together. Um, so, and, and still, you know, that's a shift. Um, because I think especially in like spaces that tend to lean politically liberal, um, the sense that like making people know everything that was wrong was doing the good thing. Um, I think that idea still, has some potency um and i think like we need to tell the truth but you also can't tell the truth in a way that 
you have to know what's tied up in the way that you tell the truth, I think, is mm-hmm. like, if you're doing it in a way that is tied up with the idea of either or power and like disenchantment and dis- despair, you need to know that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, and and be responsible to that impact, right? Um, and so my hope is like, we are learning and we can think about different ways of framing um, the relationship between humans and nature and power and change and creativity. Like all of these things are tied together. And I think that like, it was also very intentional that I did the creativity sermon before the creation sermon. Um, because I think also like we all, life is hard and we all need practices that remind us of our own agency and creativity and power um, so that mm-hmm. we don't, and joy, right? We talk about this, like joy is really important for feeling alive and feeling capable of engaging. Um, and so I think like we we don't go into the the hard places where we need to reframe how we engage with the world without some good practices about how to care for ourselves along the way. Um, so yeah, just, you know, trying to accomplish small goals in the mm-hmm. month of May. Yeah. <laughs> just minor uh, yeah. seismic theological shifts in the way that we engage with the world uh-huh. that we don't even well, look at. And how we, in- I think how we engage in the world in general and also how we engage specifically in the concept of like change making and like problem solving not just as like okay it's a problem it's fixed but like looking at the underlying relational stuff totally like ideological right because i think I think it's like it's really related to the professionalism of nonprofit work. Yeah. And the um like the creation of the idea of like charity and volunteering and mm-hmm. um like that as a as something distinct from like your normal life that you do some of if you're a good person as like right, a chari- right, charitable totally. act. Right. Like and by, being in community. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. community service. Like, I have a hard time with that because I still have this guilt of, like, I should be doing community service, which, like, saying that out loud as a minister, like, should be overtly funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that is because... what I've committed my entire life to. <laughs> right. And yet, and like, because that... I don't also go volunteer, I have this, like, oh, I'm not doing, I'm not serving community, <laughs> which is, like, preposterous. Well, and there's this just, like, total separation of, like, how I live my life versus, right. like... Right. I, like, and then Getting during credit these for two... credit com- deeds. Yeah. Right. During these these two community service hours... Right. I think about how, like, my impact is on right. the world and intentionally try to make it good. And then I go back to my yeah. normal life. And, like, right. same thing with movement stuff. Like, yeah. well, I'm going to do some volunteer work on the side... Like, yeah. as opposed to... I'm going to be in community. Yeah. This is, like, everybody's job. It's not, like, yeah. some it's not a, obscure this is not a side hustle. job. No. It's, like, the whole thing. Like, the way that we yeah. live our entire lives in an integrated way. Yeah. Like, it's not like you're on and off the clock of, like, having impact on the world. Not in, like, a scoldy <laughs> way. Yeah. 
but it's Seven just principle like, guys interconnectedness does not but go it's just offline like, <laughs> like yeah. that's an always all the time thing and not in like an elf on the shelf like god is watching you but like in a what you're doing is always connected to how it impacts others and those around you like but i in, think it's also part you know, of why yeah like it's also part of why it doesn't seem why it seems very solemn like yeah charity work and you know volunteering it's like this like solemn thing i do you know in service or whatever it's like a duty thing it makes it seem like something you should do which makes us naturally not want to do it right and it makes it seem like don't (laughs) yeah shitting yourself is not a good strategy (laughs) no and it also makes it seem boring yeah and totally like totally and depressing stuffy and depressing right like that is so different from how it needs to be like creatively engaged in my community and like the joy and hopefulness of how we like hope our hopes for the world and how we engage mm -hmm. in that hopefulness in our everyday living like that's a very very different like you know it's, it's the difference between, like, fighting the man and, like, you know, planting a garden. Like, those mm-hmm. are just really different things. And I actually want to, like, shout out to our congregation um, because one of the things, one of the big projects that has been sort of being worked on this year um, was recreating a new plan for our outdoor space at our congregation. Um because there used to be these huge shrubs in front of the church that like totally obscured the front of the building and they got pulled out in part because we needed to repair the steeple. Um, and so then it was like, well, what are we going to do with our, you know, or like this garden is kind of overgrown and isn't really being used. And so a group of congregants got together and started remaking plans for the outdoor space, which is amazing. And one of the things that was really fascinating um, was one of our congregants who is new and has and has done like professional landscaping work. She brought up the fact that that whole like green lawn in front of the church thing and green lawns in general is actually tied up in slavery because the fact that you could have like a you know green mode outdoor grass space was actually a cue to other people of your wealth because of the number of enslaved mm. people you needed to maintain that. So like, wow, yeah, we don't want to be tied up in that shit. Like, that's not okay. Um, mm-hmm. And so thinking about like, what is the point of our outdoor space? And what does it mean? And how would we like to change what it means? Um, I think is really important and and a really, you know, profound thing. And yet, you know, you could look at that and say, like, you know, this is just landscaping. But at the same yeah. time, it's also how are we tied up in like histories of power? How are we signaling to the community around us that this place is open and available to them? Like, what mm-hmm. are we saying with the way that we engage in our like physical natural worlds? Um, so that feels like this great, exciting thing. And then like, we have the really cute church birdhouse, you know, so clearly humans are birds. <laughs> We are all a songbird with a song in our hearts. <laughs> Aww. But like it, but you know, like that fighting, like dealing with the legacy of slavery feels like this like profoundly 
painful and like there aren't even words for that but like you know what we're gonna get rid of some of our grass because of what it means like that's actually really sweet and exciting and like we're owning what this meant and we're gonna change it that's not stuffy right no it's not next year there will be a sponsor a plant (laughs) endeavor so if you too would like to to you know Buy a plant to add to the garden. <laughs> oh my god, that's coming so cute. to a West Road Church near you, <laughs> right? Isn't that Adorable. cute? It's yes. like we all have ownership of this place together. So exciting stuff. Well, I on think that note, <laughs> we can go say have a great summer. Yeah, go do some like joyful, you know, fulfilling, relaxing, creative earthy stuff be in your community make, be in your body that's my plan make yeah make something connect yeah. with yeah. your fellow creation i'm talking yeah. to myself yeah oh, <laughs> i mean and i am a same <laughs> by the way i also have these plans <laughs> yes yes they do have summer camp for grown-ups <gasps> um but and is it mass camp <laughs> No, it's it's like community organizing and movement camp. Oh, but like that's pretty fun too. I can't go this year, but I learned about like a summer camp that's like organizing summer camp, and I'm like, okay, we just have to have really niche (laughs) things that people are making summer camps around. We can't have general summer camp. That's like how to not drown and <laughs> like how to make no. those plastic lanyard bracelets. <laughs> no, because everyone's supposed to be working. Work, work, work. Don't go to camp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just work. No. No fun. Anyway. <laughs> We're rejecting maybe, that. Maybe our futures, you and I will start a map camp together. <laughs> okay. Or... Convince everyone to quit their jobs and just have a general strike. That sounds harder. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, but maybe start, start with start with knitting. Okay. That's where it you, always starts. You too can be engaged in community and your own creative power. <laughs> the name of this episode is You Too Can Build a Birdhouse. I've decided. That's really cute. Isn't it cute? That's great. Yeah. Okay, so great. everyone, well, have fun building your birdhouse this summer, yeah. whatever it looks like. Yeah, I love that metaphor. Yeah, and we'll see y'all in the fall. I know. Signing off. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.